Hello, Marvelites! You're listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 608. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Angelique Roche. Or am I? Whoa! Scrub! <laughs> Uh, we'll be talking more about Skrulls later in the show because this is the official. Official, official? Official, official. Marvel podcast where we get to talk about all the things happening this week in Marvel. We got games, comics, books, toys, movies, TV, whatever the heck we're excited about. Uh, so much to be excited about this week. Mm. Uh, mm. All right. So speaking of movies, Ryan. Yes. Uh, yes because yes. I know there's at least three people who are waiting with bated breath Um I finally sat down, I pressed yes. play, I watched Predator. Yes. Give it to me. Give it uh, to me. Yo, everyone dies in the most magnificently <laughs> gory way. And I'm never going to get that moment where he had mimicked old boy's laugh. Oh. And then repeats it before he blows himself up out oh. of my mind. It's such a brilliant scene. Like, there's some things where I'm like, this is hokey to a level of cult and I'm here for it. But that I was like. How dare you? Oh, no, I love a hokey level of It is perfect cinema. Yes. The original Predator is one of the greatest movies of all time. And it's appropriate because we are doing Predator comics here at Marvel. And this September, Benjamin Percy is writing Predator versus Wolverine number one. Yes. And if you know anything about Ben... It's going to be ridiculous. <laughs> I can't wait. He's going to do horrible things to everything. Yes. Uh, yeah. The current Predator run is also really good. The Predator <sighs> comics are very, very good. So everybody should go check those out. But let's talk about this week because we have amazing artist, illustrator, character, and costume designer for Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, Chris Anka here with us. You know, we talk about the movie's line is anyone can wear the mask, right? But that's a cool thing to say. And sort of a big thing on this movie was we wanted to walk the walk and go, no, but anyone can. And let's show them. And y'all can hear that interview in just a little bit. So before we get to that, let's get into all the stuff this week. First things first, we got a new trailer that hit the uh, the Internet this week for a movie inspired by a Marvel character. Yo, Craven the Hunter trailer is out. It comes to theaters in October. They've given you no time to think about it. You just should go. So I've always loved Craven. Craven's is over the top. I mean, literally, his name is what he is. He hunts just what he does. And he's got his own compass of morality, this one does. But this trailer is just insane <laughs> and gorgeous and sexy in ways it shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a wild one. Uh, he's definitely very sexy. It is a very hard R red band trailer. There's some gruesomeness in there. The man bit off that. some uh, a piece of someone's face with his teeth. And spit it at the camera. That was my favorite bit. At that Not camera. just like biting it, but like spitting it and like splatters on the camera. I was like, you know what? I'm here for all of this. As someone who Speaking absolutely unironically adores Punisher Warzone and all its manic violence... I am excited about Craven the Hunter. I'm also excited that we're getting like this big Craven moment this fall yeah. between this and then Marvel Spider-Man 2. We know Craven the Hunter plays a big role in the video game. So very, very cool. October is going to be. Can we name October Craven month? Craventober? Craventober seems like something we could we could workshop. Yeah. We'll get a cup of coffee. We'll figure it out. 
There we go. Uh, but it's no secret, this next Ooh. announcement, Ooh. that's right, came to Disney+. Plus. It's there. Yeah. Uh, the time has come. The scrolls are here. Or are they? They're everywhere or they're not? Oh, wait, you know what? I know where they are. They are exclusively streaming on Disney+. Plus, and that's all I got. Because as for where they are within the Marvel Universe, I don't know what to tell you. So you got to go watch the first episode of Marvel Studios' Secret Invasion. Um, like right now, because you don't want to get this spoiled for you you should no you, should, you don't yeah the first episode has a uh, a big ending so get ready again marvel studio secret invasion right now on disney plus and next up i'm very excited ryan sees my face because i get to talk about one of the greatest musicals that ever was a musical in the entire world that's right rogers the musical is opening next week june 30th for a limited run at California Adventure Park at the Disneyland Resort. Um, I'm so excited because the production is going to feature a cast of singers and dancers telling the story of sweet, sweet, sweet Steve Rogers' life. And you know what? That means that we get to see some of our other favorites. So, I mean, you can't sing about Steve Rogers' life, the man with the plan, um, without Peggy Carter, Nick Fury, and select members of the Avengers. And yes, I said Nick Fury. And yes, Nick Fury <laughs> is going to sing. I just, I can't wait. I I have no way to, to really make it over to the West Coast at all while this is happening, I'm sure. But I really want to. I need everybody to experience this. This is, it's going to be cool because it's, you know, we saw a little bit in Marvel Studios Hawkeye, but this We'll take audiences from Steve's beginnings during World War II to becoming Captain America, leading the Avengers and beyond. Uh, of course, we we heard Save the City, that very catchy song from Hawkeye. But you're going to have Star Spangled Man from Marvel Studios' Captain America, the first Avenger in there. And then five new original songs written just for Rogers, the musical at the Disneyland Resort. So excited because all I can hear is the Star Spangled Man with a plan in my head now. One of the other cool things is all that singing and dancing that everyone is sure to do with the actual cast is going to build up a star-spangled appetite. Uh, so this week, Disney Eats actually shared a really cool new look at some of the star-spangled food visitors are going to be able to munch on in between performances. Get your food beforehand. Uh, this one-act musical. Select locations across Disney California Ventures are going to be serving patriotic and heroically themed food and beverages with vending carts outside the Hyperion Theater offering red, white, and blue kettle corn complete with a themed popcorn bucket at the time of purchase. Okay, so... Ryan, I know mm -hmm. you've seen this list. This oh, list I have. Is, this list I, of food I, is... I love it for a number of reasons. One, the name of some of the places, like Award Wieners, which is a staple <laughs> at Disney California Adventure, but they're going to have a pastrami pretzel dog, which I want so badly. And my daughter, Catherine, she loves hot dogs. She loves pastrami. This would be like her favorite thing i guess it's good that i'm not taking her there because she doesn't need all that sodium uh but uh we also there's going to be the patriotic punch at the hollywood lounge which is a non-alcoholic drink a wrapped spicy dog at uh, a vending cart sausage and pepperoni wrap at the shawarma palace which i want this one made me laugh because i love the name the apple pizza pie at terran treats 
which is a cinnamon sugar fried pizza crust topped with apple and cranberry filling, strusel, and cream cheese frosting. Oh, oh. it's really the strusel for me. The strusel. And then there's also the cherry vanilla and blue raspberry shake, which is another non-alcoholic drink that is uh, red, white, and blue. Uh, kind of like slushy, shaky thing that uh, I think is kind of perfect, especially in the, the hot summer. I love this is all coming out like perfectly timed as though someone thought about right before the 4th of July. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, what's timing? What, what's timing? Uh, so if you loved all of those things that we just said and you want the full experience, or you're going to Disney California Adventure, there's also one cool little thing you need to watch out for is that you can get the full experience plus the munchies. You got it. Uh, guests can purchase a Rogers the Musical premium viewing experience package from the Studio Catering Co. truck in Hollywoodland. Available in limited quantities per performance. And the package includes a popcorn bucket with kettle corn and a choice of bottled beverage plus access to lounge seating before the show, a priority choice of seating in the theater, a souvenir lanyard, and access to a unique photo opportunity. Mm-hmm. 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 I like it. I love it. Very, very cool. Any of our listeners out there, if you get to go and experience Rogers the musical this summer and while it's there for a limited run, please let us know. Hit us up. Email us, twimpodcast at marvel.com. I want to hear your experiences. Uh, But let's dive over to comics now because they're not losing an X-Men. They're gaining an Avenger, which was Mm. a really fun way we we teased off this. I don't know how how I feel about this, Ryan. Look, it's a a wonderful... This smells nothing but trouble. I know, and I love trouble, especially (laughs) when it comes to Tony Stark and the X-Men because this September, Tony Stark and Emma Frost tie the knot in X-Men number 26 and Invincible Iron Man number 10. It's a crossover event, both issues written by Gregarious Jerry Duggan, uh, art in X-Men by Stefano Caselli, art in Invincible Iron Man by Juan Fergari, covers to both by the amazing Lucas Wernick. I don't know if you got to see, yeah, Chef's Kiss covers, they're so good, they connect together. Oh my god, the the covers. Let me tell you. Look, mm-hmm. I'm going to I'm going to say something and yeah. and I got to shout out Black Nerd Problems and and their analysis of this incredible cover. But yo, first of all, what is with Tony Stark and these red sunglasses? Second of all, second of all, this disposition of the entire X-Men squad is like Fracking Emma Frost. <laughs> what are we doing? Emma's what the are smartest. You up to? She's She's being Emma. She is trying to take care of all of her fellow mutants, even if they don't understand it. She's so smart and so caring. And so gorgeous in that dress. Oh, my God. Ridiculous. But my favorite is Cyclops' expression on that. He's just like, boy, your baby boy, that dude, that dude. Mm, He's just like, oh, oh, you could just hear his like little tiny Broken heart break even further. I also hear the tidiest violin in the world because you know how I feel about Scott Summers. I know. Uh, this is very cool. So yeah, it's the the <laughs> wedding of Anthony Edward Stark and Emma Grace Frost. I didn't realize her middle name was Grace. That's Catherine's middle name. Oh, well, you see how you've set that up. 
Yeah. Uh, and then, <laughs> so it's going to be fun. Attire is Hellfire Formal. Orcus Raid to follow. Uh-oh. They'll be fun. This is happening again in September, September 6th and September 27th for X-Men and Invincible Iron Man issues, respectively. In other news, though, Captain Marvel number one. Oh, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me, Carol Danvers and the Carol Corps. The past week, fans saw the end of Kelly Thompson's historic run of Captain Marvel. But you can't keep Carol Danvers down for long. This October, enter an all-new era of Captain Marvel as writer oh, Alyssa Wong and Marvel Stormbreaker artist Yan Basildua take the reins in a new ongoing series. Captain Marvel number one will mark a revolutionary shift for the iconic cosmic hero. Uh, also, like the glow-up of uh, <clears throat> this entire suit mm. situation mm. that she's got on that was designed by Jen Bartel. Um, so for those who haven't seen it, Jen Bartel did the recent Hellfire Gala design for Carol, and it was such a hit, she's now delivered a sleeker, modified version for Carol's new journey. So this is permanent. There's a jacket, there's boots that are like combat boots. Like just, it's just a whole new style era for her, which is kind of cool. Check out Steven Segovia's cover for issue one now and stay tuned for more announcements about Captain Marvel because they're coming, um, such as new character designs, variant covers. And uh, I, I hear there's a foil cover mm. that might be coming down. And John Tyler Christopher's negative space cover. You know, for more information, visit marvel.com. But also make sure you're checking out uh, all of our social media especially Twitter, because uh, that's where I saw that glorious new design. Oh, my gosh. Ryan, what do you think? I want her jacket. I love it so much. It's such a good look. So, again, you'll see this in Captain Marvel, number one, in October. But, like, when you start seeing her in other books, like in Avengers, where she's the leader of the team, you'll see that there, too. So, I like that. It's real cool. Angelique, I have a yes. question for you. Yes. Would you let Spidey tingle your spine? There's a lot of ways that answer can go, but if it has to do with Hora and Saladin Ahmed is writing it, mm -hmm. yes. Good answer, because it's Creepsville to the max with a print version of Spine Tingling Spider-Man, uh, which is the print version of the Infinity Comics. So number zero is coming out in September. That is the adaptation of the Infinity Comics, which were really, really cool. It's gnarly. It's written by, as you mentioned, Saladin Ahmed, but art by the wonderful Juan Ferreira, who I just I love. His designs in this are exceptionally gnarly. Uh, just a really wild, terrifying ride. There was, if I recall correctly, a creepy, creepy song that was in Spine Tingling Spider-Man, the Infinity Comics, that was, that was sort of like a through line that was in, in, entrancing people. And then Nick Lowe, wonderful editor of Spider-Man comics, created a song of it. He put music to it. He put music to it. Uh, and we released it. <sighs> Can we play a little bit of that right now? Close, close your eyes. Go, go to sleep, the man with the knife cuts down the sheep, he slaughters the lamb, 
he slaughters the ewe. Close, close your eyes, he'll cut you down too. So it's very cool. Spine Tingling Spider-Man number zero in September. Very rad indeed. Oh, Nick Lowe. Nick, Nick Lowe. Uh, man. Uh, so for those of you who have been watching the Marvel Game Reverse Marvel Contest of Champions hits another milestone. The fighting game available on mobile devices held a live stream this week in which they showed off the 250th playable champion in the game, the man who heads up the Shi'ar Imperial Guard, Gladiator. Will what he does echo in eternity? Probably. He's big and cool and purple with a rad mohawk. You know how I feel about mohawks. And is as strong as he is confident. And he's pretty damn confident. Uh, they also went over all kinds of other stats and details about the first 249 characters in the game. Not a thing to laugh about. Make sure you go check that out. It is currently on twitch.tv slash kabam. That's K-A-B-A-M. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Super cool. Congrats to that team. 250 characters in a game is... It's massive. Bananas. Uh, this is crazy talk. I know. All right. If you are one of our listeners... Over in uh, the Netherlands, if you're in Europe and maybe able to go to the Heroes Dutch Comic Con this weekend, Marvel's going to be there in a really, really cool way. We'll have Editor-in-Chief C.B. Sabolski in attendance. But on top of that, bringing the entire 2023 class of Marvel Stormbreakers, those amazing artists that uh, we've been highlighting for a long time. And that that class includes Elena Casagrande, Nick Klein, Jan Basildua, Chris Allen, Martin Cocolo, Lucas Wernick, Sia Villa, and Federico Vicentini. I think this is the first time they've all been together, maybe? I, Are we not, trying to break the universe? Right? And it's really, really cool. They'll be on hand for panels. They're going to have tables in the comics area of Heroes Dutch Comic Con. In addition, they will appear on stage together for a special live session to create a one-of-a-kind drawing. The final result will be auctioned off afterwards with all proceeds going to War Child, a charity that works toward a world in which no child's life is torn apart by war. You can find out more about Dutch Comic-Con on their social media. And for tickets and information, visit DutchComicCon.com. Lots of information. It is really, really cool. Go check them out. And if, if you have the opportunity to go there, go, go, go. Let us know. Have some fun. See, this is why I know that Nick Lowe and you are trouble in a room. That that was songs coming out of everywhere. I can't help but want to sing things. And now my child does it too. Oh, well, you know what? Nope, I got nothing. So uh, <laughs> speaking of nothing, uh, this ain't nothing. Werewolf by Night number one. Oh, Werewolf by Night. I love it so much. I love this idea of black and white and horror. It makes me so happy. Brought to you by writer Derek Landy and Fran Galan. Cover by Corinne Howell. <sighs> if you know Werewolf by Night, you understand why I'm so happy. So in the shadows of this black and white world, Jack Russell races to halt the sacrifice of a young girl at the hands of monsters because it's werewolf by night. Elsa Bloodstone and all of her colorful monster hunting glory because she's Elsa Bloodstone isn't far behind. But 
can they put their differences aside long enough to save the day? And mm. what would such a partnership even look like? And then Werewolf by Night is, uh, you know, that's what it is. It's a one shot. It also is dropping in September. So we got a lot of stuff coming for the fall. Get excited. Um, all right. We also wanted to shout out some Infinity Comics here. Just in case anybody is not catching up on their Infinity Comics, there's a ton of great stories. I think this week was the last part of the Aaron Fisher Captain America arc in Love Unlimited, which was super cute and super cool and like kind of a big deal for Aaron Fisher, who's the Captain America of the Railways. And it's a really just cool stuff for Pride Month. There's also a new arc starting off in the X-Men Unlimited issue number 92. It's got the Madrox family and the Fantastic Four teaming up. We've had a lot of really great Jamie Madrox, aka the Multiple Man uh, stories with him and Strong Guy doing wild stuff. Pretty much the entire run of X-Men Unlimited, like back and forth by writer-artist Jason Lowe. Uh, And they've been really, really fun. So we're getting a new one in here. And they're going to be back and forth with the FF. So get excited for that. I love those team ups. But go read all the Infinity Comics on Marvel Unlimited. There's so many good ones where you release kind of uh, an issue at least once a day during the week, usually. Angelique is trying to like trying to make me look at her dog being adorable. (laughs) Yeah, he uh, my dog is uh, he's a big comic fan, actually, for a true story. My comic book shop when I lived in LA was his favorite place. He would literally just like, he'd know where we were going. Uh, He would get to the door. He would look at me like, are we going in? And then he would just like lay right in front of the new releases and just wait for people to come and like pet him. Mm. It's very cute. Uh, So speaking of comic book days, Marvel's Pull List Podcast. Yeah, we've been doing the Marvel Pull List Podcast. Uh, It's the other show where we talk about all the comics out every week. We've got three picks for you this week. It's a good week with Incredible Hulk number one, which is a wonderful horror issue. It is gross. If you want to see multiple sets of teeth in, in the Hulk's face, this is your book. Uh, Scarlet Witch Annual number one is Wanda and Agatha together, and it's beautiful and it's wonderful. And then oof, Ultimate Invasion number one is out this week, and it is a good one. It is big time. Uh, Incredible Hulk number one by Philip Kennedy Johnson and Nick Klein. We're going to have them on the show to talk about the series really soon. So you should read the book, catch up, know what uh, what they're going to be talking about. And then Ultimate Invasion number one is really great. We're going to have artist Brian Hitch on the show soon to talk about Ultimate Invasion. But if you also want more from Ultimate Invasion writer Jonathan Hickman, just recently we released the conversation that I had with Jonathan Hickman and the legend that is Grant Morrison talking all about the X-Men. You can watch that on Marvel's YouTube page. Lots of great stuff for you to check out. But on top of all that in the show this week, our reading club is with writer Marika Nykamp. We dive into her series, Love Unlimited Vision. We talk a little bit about Hawkeye, um, but Love Unlimited is so good. If anybody is not like fully caught up on Love Unlimited Infinity Comics, you're missing out because it's romance with like some superhero stuff, but just great character work, fun comics, sometimes heartbreaking comics. Something we don't get to do a lot in the big print releases. I'm so glad we get it on Infinity Comics. Great comics this week. Uh, Of course, you want to learn all about the comics, listen to the full episode of Marvel's Pull List, where we have new episodes out every Tuesday. Right now, that give you uh, a little bit of a guide 
before you go into your local comic book shop or on an app for new comic book day on Wednesday. Listen on the SiriusXM app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, thank you for making it easy for us. Mm-hmm. I appreciate you. Uh, coming up, our chat with Chris Anka. Uh, we'll be right back after this. You're listening to This Week in Marvel. I'm Angelique Roche. And I'm Ryan Panagos. It is time for our interview. Thwip, thwip, y'all. We got a chance to chat with the incredible artist Chris Anka. You might know him from his work on Runaways, on Kenny X-Men, Captain Marvel, Star-Lord, uh, a.k.a. Abs-Lord. Uh, he's also a character and costume designer on a movie that maybe you've heard about, something called Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Oh, I've heard, I've heard of that. I've heard of that movie. We had a really wonderful chat with Chris, who we adore. So sit back, relax, and put it in your ear holes. Angelique, are you ready to talk with our guest, Chris Anka? Yes. Chris, we got to talk about Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse and so much more. But I want to start by asking, what's your Marvel origin story? How did you first get connected to the Marvel characters as a fan? Okay, I have a very vivid memory of, oh man, I would have to have been eight or something. And my grandmother bought a comic book for one of my friend's birthdays. It was like a present for him that I was going to give him. And it, I believe it was Captain America number one by Mark Wade and Ron Garney that like heroes were born. And like I poured over it. To the point where she had to buy another one. They couldn't give him that copy anymore because I like, I like thumbed through it so much. But it really didn't kickstart until I was 11 and I decided of like, oh, here comes Ultimate X-Men number one. And I made the conscious choice of like, I'm going to be a monthly buyer of that. And that, was, and that was where it really kicked off for me. Like, then I was just like, I'm going to read this every single month and, and never miss an issue. And I didn't until, you know, it, it went away. But I've been a monthly buyer ever since I was 11, yeah. Nice. Wow. So good. How, how did we then loop you to start working on comics? That would be editor Nick Lowe. <laughs> never <laughs> no. So like I started, you know, I was, I was drawing fan art like my whole childhood, my whole life and uploading them online, you know, with never really kind of a goal in mind. Comics was a thing I enjoyed and I just was doing fan art for like kind of the exercise of it. And then when I, I went to college to Cal Arts for animation and I was making films there and I think Nick was seeing the fact of like, oh, here's someone who draws a lot of Marvel fan art and here's someone who can tell a story and goes, can we just put those two things together? Um, and he randomly reached out to me. I was taking a year off of, of, of schooling after my third year uh, and I was working at Sideshow Collectibles at the time. And Nick emailed me out of the blue and was like, Hey, like, do you want to draw comics for us? And I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> Um, like I had slid another year of schooling to go back. I was going back and I was just like, I, I don't do that, but I'll do covers. I'd be like, I'd be down to do covers. And he was like, fine. And then I landed, I believe my first cover gig was 
that Age of Apocalypse series at the time, which would, I think, spun out of Remender's X-Force book, Uncanny X-Force. And so I did covers for like one arc and I did another cover set for New Mutants. But then like after I graduated, uh, Nick started really kind of like hounding for comic work. And he would keep like shifting the pitch instead of like an ongoing and be like, okay, what about like one issue and you have this amount of time? And like, okay, what about like half an issue with this amount? And we finally settled because I was, I was working at this point at Nickelodeon on the Ninja Turtle show. And I was like, Nick, I have a nine to five. Like I don't you know. <laughs> he's like all right what if what if we do like we're doing like the a plus x series and it's like what if we do 10 pages and you have two months to do that i was like all right fine um so i was doing that after work for a few months and i turned that in and it was fun um it was like cool all right what if we do this um <laughs> all new x-men indestructible hulk and superior spider-man crossover book you get to do like one of the issues and you have like four months to do that. I was like, all right. <laughs> all right. <laughs> you know, and at this point, I'm also doing like costume designs and stuff, right? Um, so it's like I'm kind of around, you know, Nick is sort of like kind of chipping away. After I do that issue, I get a call from Nick. And he's like, all right, man. And this is during work hours. So I like sneak out to go take this call. <laughs> and Nick's like, all right, so two things are about to happen to you. You're going to get a call uh, about a contract and you're about to get a call from Janine Schaefer to see if you want to draw X-Men. So good luck. Uh, and those, both those things happen within like 10 minutes. And, and at this point it was kind of one of those things of like, I'm not like a big Ninja Turtles fan. It was like something I knew of, but I wasn't like super uh, connected with, but I am a very big X-Men fan. And so, you know, it's that very practical decision of like the pay is kind of the same. And so, like, would I rather draw Turtles or would I draw the X-Men? And I picked the X-Men. Yeah. I love this. And I love the fact that you kind of alluded to, like, the rest of your career is happening at the same time. Oh, yeah. You know, the irony is, is, you know, I think about it a lot, especially recently, kind of this, like, industry sidestep that then because I had such a kind of built-in name in comics, you know, I'd already known one of the directors that was coming onto Across the Spider-Verse, Joaquin DeSantos. But like it was because I kind of did that comic sidestep was then I then I get invited to come back to do feature design on a superhero movie. So it was like this sort of like really weird kind of lateral move that got me to my goal, which like I never would have kind of predicted. You would think like staying in animation would have gotten me there. But I think because I'd kind of taken that step away, kind of really worked on my drawing chops for a long time and kind of really also established myself in kind of that superhero, you know, realm. But then, like, that avenue opened up for me. And so, kind of, like, I got that, you know, 15-year-old dream in this, like, winding road that I never would have predicted. For folks who may not understand what it means, what is a character design in this type of process, right? Like, what does it mean to have looked at the costume and character design for all of these different spider folks in Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse? It's kind of different on every character. You know, some characters I'm pitch hitting on, some characters I am the full um, chef on. So with, with like with Miguel, they had done some early exploration with other designers to kind of like, I think to kind of like figure what they don't want. A lot of, you know, a lot of the time I'm trying to just figure out what the directors don't want. 
um, and I, I call those like I'm, I'm trying to do false negatives where I'm trying to like pitch of like, what is your parameter of this concept? And like, am I, like, where do I break what you, you know, what you're looking for? And does that include physicality? Because a lot of things that we're seeing are the different costumes and the different suits. But, you know, I've seen a lot of your past work, which is folks in their, you know, normal street clothes. A hundred percent. Um, yeah. So like with Miguel, it was, you know, they, they came to me with the idea of like Miguel is this is the person who made himself into a spider, um, which juxtaposes everyone else. He wasn't been. He was designed. He designed himself and he takes this incredibly seriously. And so we want this whole physicality to be this is a guy with purpose. Um, his whole, you know, he's supposed to scream willpower of he is making himself into this person. And so, whereas, you know, you have, you know, we're, we're looking at miles and we're kind of aging miles, but like miles needs to feel sort of like a natural athletic. Um, so it looked a lot of like basketball players for kind of like, you know, he's in a growth spurt, but like, it should sort of feel like he doesn't really go out of his way to work out. Um, and, and, you know, and then you have Peter B who's on the other side of like, he's sort of letting himself go, but you know, he's still this capable athletic man. And but he's not really working at it too hard. Dad bod that jogs like hmm? once or twice yeah. a week, but well, only well, like two like, miles. You know, he does do spider stuff. So, you know, it, it is working himself, but he's not really concentrated. So then with Miguel, it was very like, no, this guy pumps iron every single moment he can have. Whether or not he's overcompensating or not for kind of like, I am the spider. It's that he he has this image in his head of like, Spider-Man is discipline and I have to be that. And so that was a, you know, kind of a part of like, how physical is this guy? We kind of like, we kind of joked about like, he's sort of like the Wolverine of these guys of like, there's just that guy who's just a little too intense and a little too buff, just <laughs> in the corner, just like, let's do this all the time. And it's like, okay, all right. So, you know, with him, it is, it is like, I, you know, I'm working with the modeler and Omar Smith did a fantastic job with sort of like my turnaround. And we kind of like, we're going back and forth of like, Hey, how to like, where, where is too far? How much is too buff? Um, you know, there, there's kind of a, a thinking on the movie that like everything does need to feel a little natural. You know, we're not going full Mr. Incredible, you know, in, in our kind of stylized, you know, exaggerated sort of animation look. It is something that a real person, you know, quote unquote could achieve you know, we have a very big thing of like, everyone is asymmetrical. There is not a single symmetrical character in this movie because humans don't grow symmetrically. Everyone kind of grows a little sort of lopsided. Um, and so even with Miguel, like every muscle is is off. Is, every muscle is different sizes. And it's just to kind of like add that level of like, this is supposed to feel observed, even though this is so heightened, right? But then there's other designs where I'm just sort of, you know, Miles was given to me a finished model, and I'm just there to dress Miles. Same with Gwen. It was like uh, the directors work with Omar, and they just like it's easier for us just to age the model because we have a building block rather than making something new. And you know, when it comes to me of like this is the model, how do we make a suit? And so like that's a completely different sort of exploration where I don't really need to figure out like you know a, a big part of this is also is who is the character. And so I'm kind of getting, you know, to get into kind of character acting and in their head. But with Miles and Gwen, that's kind of already figured out. And so it's just about 
okay, like let's just kind of do suit explorations. I'm I'm curious about the collaborative nature of all this, partially in in the film, but also thinking about the collaborative nature of of comics and how sort of when you do these kind of explorations around characters um, for comics, how is that different from when you're doing it here? Because it sounds like you're talking to the directors, you're talking to the modeler, you're talking maybe to the writers. Is is there a lot of similarity or is it really different because media is just so vastly different? Uh, I mean, the worst answer, it's both. The thinking is the same. You know, I'm still kind of doing the same research of like, oh, I need to, I'm trying to design like Web Slinger. And so I'm looking up every Web Slinger design I, I can find that that is in the comics and every artist's interpretation and go, what are the commonalities? What are the differences? What are the highlights? What can I plus up? And that, I mean, that's a big part of the movie. It was like, like every design needs to be not, not so much just plussed, but like what is the aspirational version that we can create that feels found culturally specific and like the coolest version of, you know. You designed over 150 characters, right? That That's a lot of spiders, but you <laughs> clearly everybody touched a significant amount of all of the characters doing this collaborative work. Are there any of those 150 characters that you worked on and are throughout that you are most proud are in the movie? And honestly, some of them pass by so fast. Are there any we can tell people to keep an eye out for in the movie? Miguel, I'm I'm pretty proud because I put so much kind of blood, sweat and tears into that design. That's like my design in that movie, you know. But in terms of like the other spiders, I think the ones that I'm very proud of are the ones in which the active goal was to add, you know, we talk about the movie, you know, the the movie's line is anyone can wear the mask, right? But that's a cool thing to say. And sort of a big thing on this movie was we wanted to walk the walk and go, no, but anyone can and let's show them. And so on any design i'm like can we let's do something let's you know let's make this spider you know a plus-sized person let's make this spider um a different religion let's make this spider trans like like anyone should be able to look at all the spiders and kind of gleam onto what they want and choose the spider that they like the most 100 but i also go into the designs going this one is going to be this because at the end of the day having the audience do all the work while good is a little bit of a cop out because then you can easily fall into sort of the pit of, well, then that means I don't do any of the work ourselves. The film doesn't actually need to do any of the, the heavy lifting. And so, you know, when they came to me, like, let's, we want to do spider UK, but we want it to be a Muslim woman in a hijab. I'm like, let's go. Let's do this. And I researched hijabs. I was asking friends who wore them. I'm like, how do we do this? Let's look up all the different kinds. I'm looking at, you know, athletes. I'm looking at swimmers and how different sort of, for active people, how do they wear their hijabs and how are hijabs sort of styled for that way and constructed. Uh, of course, we have to add more to it. You know, you know, when I was, you know, Web Slinger is a good one of like, we have culturally seen so many kind of white American cowboys that it's kind of the obvious move. And I was like, well, you know, if our whole thing is that anyone can, and we want to find kind of cultural landmarks, I want to make web slinger Mexican. 
you know, let's talk about like the American West for real. And let's, and I designed a ton mariachi spider um, web slingers and, you know, banditos and, and women. And like, I, I did like 40 uh, just cowboys and cowgirls just to sort of see where we wanted to go. You know, even under the mask, I was like, no, like, this is who I kind of want to be. Cause you always want to be a little specific with stuff. You don't want to just kind of rest on sort of like a cultural cliche morals. You know, when I was doing the spider, uh, the samurai spider, you know, it, it's as kind of, you know, he is sort of the, like the prototypical, but I think it's a prototypical for the reason. And because he's the coolest, I was looking at Mifune because I was like, I just, I want this to feel like a real person. And you also want them to be cool as shit. You know, Sun Spider was a big one of when we kind of got the ask of like, let's put Sun Spider, like, we're like, Sun Spider's going to come back up in the comics. Um, and she's going to get like kind of a, a, a bigger spotlight. Let's have her in the movie. You know, as much as my NDA would allow, I was just full going into like the creator Dane's Twitter. It was like, can I, can I find conversations that they have about what kind of shorts these are? Like what kind of harnesses are these? What makes this wheelchair different from other wheelchairs? Cause wheelchairs are, you know, come in kind of all shapes and sizes. And like, what's this specific wheelchair? What's this specific crutch? And that's kind of how we approach it across the board of just like any time in which we can imbue that little nugget and have someone be able to go, oh, they thought about that. That wasn't just a, you know, a, a careless idea or just a cash grab to be thrown into the movie. And that was always kind of the intent. You did get one of my favorite spiders in there, which is Spider Bite, uh, Margot. And I got to say, um, <clears throat> thick thighs save lives, Chris. Oh, yeah. uh, your body positivity uh, knows no bounds and your ability to create athletes, even for spider bite is amazing. But there's also something unique about her. Ryan and I were kind of talking about how her hair is pixelized and how you're able to update uh, the characters and like really make her quote unquote upgraded. You know, what were your inspirations for her character? You talked a little bit about it on Twitter, but I'd love to hear a little more. She was she was one of the kind of the fun ones. It was it was sort of like, you know, with a lot of these characters, they're all sort of adults, and so we didn't get a really opportunity to design a lot more teens. Um, I think there's only three new, at least of the main characters. It's Bite, India, and Punk, and even Punk's kind of on the older side. And whereas I didn't really work on Punk or India, um, I was given Bite, and it was that kind of thing of like, a you know, I want her to silhouette wise stand apart from Gwen and it was very nice that like was never sort of discussed but no one really fought me of like like I wanted to make her a little thicker I'm just like let's have some variety let's have a little you know athletic comes in all different kinds of shapes and so no one ever shot it down no one ever really talked about it which is sort of like a yes but then like on a kind of like the other sense of it was we have you know Miguel has a digital suit and we had spent a lot of time kind of figuring out the visual language of what that means and kind of how he's, got, he's, he's sort of covered in LEDs and they're kind of, you know, moving and they have this really cool out of like old CRT television kind of scan lines coming through him. Um, and then there's Lila, his AI, who has sort of a digital projection self. And there was a whole visual language developed for her that when it came to Spider Bite, we knew this was going to be sort of a digital avatar person. That I'm like, what's a different way that I can show digital in this? And I was like, what if she's polygons? And what if we kind of really lean into that? 
And I tried things of, you know, what if she's a robot? What if, you know, her avatar is like a physical drone that then hard light projects, you know, body, like all kinds of different things of like, how far can we go to, to break this? And she's giving me a little bit of Tron vibes. Mm-hmm. There's, there's always a little bit of Tron with me. I just like, I love Tron. <laughs> I, just, I just can't not Tron. But oddly enough, the thing I was thinking about a lot was the old 90s show reboot. Yeah. Um, oh. Like Megabyte. And I was like, something in that ballpark where it's that kind of rudimentary geometry person. At one point with the notes, I was like, don't hide that her polygon planes. Like, lean into that. Like, make her feel like not so much like full on PS1, PS2 levels, but you know, in that ballpark where we you don't really hide the fact that that's her kind of digital self. But then also think about movement. Like, you know, as she runs, the hair can kind of trail and you do, you add this like extra layer to her. And I'd kind of like played with the idea that like, you know, if she's sort of a hard light construct and her body part are different segments, those segments can grow. And, and she has a whole exoskeleton inside of her that like that, like these things are projecting around. Um, and then Mara did such a great job of like, you know, what if we, what if those stretch? What if what if those you know become um, disproportionate, and like really use that as kind of like a character action thing, um, to kind of like you know, to add to that sort of like this is a, a collaborative process. And then like when it goes to character paint, you know, they kind of like changing up the colors to fit the different moods and her eyes changing, her her mask eyes changing to show the different kinds of like visions that she's having. Like that was an animation. Like that wasn't even anyone in design. Like that, they would just like took it and go. That's just you know. Let's just add this level to it. I'm like that's so cool. And the fact that like as she makes clones of herself, each one gets lower and lower poly because they take. <laughs> she can give them less and less RAM. And so the more she makes, the lower like res they are because she and the slower they move because she doesn't have enough processing power to have like eight clones, which is like such a cool little detail. That's amazing. Well, I want to hit a couple of the other spiders, of course. We talked a bit about Miles, and uh, we were looking at a lot of the designs you posted on social media, which are amazing. I was thinking about the runner that's in the film about Miles' armpits looking like they're bleeding as folks see the, the red down his sides in the costume. Did that joke come from your design, or was it vice versa? Like, that that's just such a, a fun bit. And then looking at all your designs, like, it's not in each one of them. Yeah, that came way later. The design was like done for like a year and, and until like at least I had noticed that that joke had made it into the movie. And, it's you know, it's just it's that part of like ideas spring other ideas. And I think they wanted to kind of have like a fun way to sort of reference the suit. And I also think it's the play of like, the, like this is such a like a different Spider-Man design like no other Spider-Man has sort of these athletic stripes. So like I, you know, I kind of think of it a way of like no other Spider-Person knows how to like deal with that they're like what is this i don't know what this is this doesn't have like the normal red and blue like i'm you know everyone's kind of freaking out about it um but that definitely that definitely kind of came after the fact it was like even you know from what i posted and i did i think my count is i think 84 (laughs) miles designs 89 84 only i'm sorry what? <laughs> I did eighty nine over over the course of like five months. I, I think a, it's that thing of like this is Miles, like this is the main character. This is the one that like everyone's gonna have an opinion on. We didn't just want to retread the first movie because I think that's not fun visually, and you know that's a suit that Miles made in five minutes. 
And so the idea is that this is a year and a half later, he's going to take a lot longer to make a new suit. It needed to sort of feel like a new holistic idea. It's still the same sort of approach of this is this, this art kid who is making, you know, he, he's spray painting the logos. He's using stencils. You still want all that, but this needed to feel like he really thought about it. And it was very scary that suit's so iconic. The first end of the Spider-Man suit's so iconic at this point. But like, how do you think of that in a completely new sense? But here's a real question, Chris. Was there ever a cape? There was never a cape. Hey, Miguel kind of has a little bit of a cape business going on at, at one point, right? Yeah, Miguel, yeah. Miguel's cape. I mean, was, mm. yeah. so you've mentioned that you were able to get uh, Miguel's culture into his design, much like you did with these the other suits. You know, specifically Mesoamerican uh, cultural landmarks. One, why was that important? And two, could you like give us a blueprint of where, you know, folks can can see this? Obviously, I'm looking at it right now and, and, and a lot of it, you know, is very apparent, but break down that process for us. So we had gotten kind of a version of Miguel. I think it took us about three months to get him to like the point of like this is a a design that everyone was happy with. We had taken him to modeling, he was going into character paint. I think it had gone. It was gone for a few months, and I think one of the character painters, because they were also at this point developing Nueva York, and kind of like the visual language of of that whole city. And now Miguel, because we had, we had gone so hard on like the digital part of Miguel, this future digital thing, there goes. What if we kind of bring that element into the into the suit as well, so it all kind of feels all of one language, and. So they kick the design back to me and go, can we explore sort of adding patterning to the suit? And I don't think they really thought like it was going to take me like another seven months. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think it was an idea of like, let's just do a pass and like, and let's go. But it kind of like, you know, it's to the point of like the difference between feature and, and comics is it, it, it allowed us to go, okay, no, look, let's, if we have another chance to look at this and think about this, let's really think about this. You know, one of really obvious kind of changes was that we were so focused on like making a simple iconic design at the first, and we had really kind of not established the rules, the other, you know, we hadn't, we hadn't really done the other spiders at the, at the beginning, but now that we have, we're like, Miguel's spider doesn't have eight legs, that's four. And that was one, you know, it's, it's kind of like that simple of like, oh, we get to approach this again. Can we add? Like, we we, we figure that out with the sort of the patterning. So let's add sort of this Mesoamerican kind of cultural touchstone to this character. Like, what can that be? Like, they gave me kind of a rough blueprint of what they were thinking. At, point, at that point, it was just sort of like a light blue patterning that would go into the blue of the suit that highlights would pick up. And that was always, that was kind of all it was going to be. Part of it was like it needs to feel intentional. It needs to feel like it it can fit his anatomy. So there was a lot of tweaking of like this actually needs to fit you know, like his musculature. You know why why just stop there? Let's look at everything. Let's look at the red. Let's look at you know how this all kind of brings together. And so I kind of went on a deep dive of researching kind of old ancient art to like modern textiles to asking a bunch of my Mexican friends of like. What are patterns that you don't see a lot of that like feel incredibly specific? Can we go deeper? And I think you know we had cultural con consultants on this. I mean, I even think that at one point, you know, I was kind of just adding all these patternings, and one guy was like, 
for what you're looking at and where you're coming from, there wouldn't be any curved lines. I think he was citing an Aztec culture, I believe. And he was like, because it's all in stone, like there was, there was whatever, like there wasn't any curves. So I had to like go back and like redo the entire suit pattern to eliminate all the curves from it to kind of add that, just like that little le level of like, it needs to be thought out. It can't just be, you know, like I, I slapped it on. It sort of set the rhythm for the entire movie of what is the most authentic way we can do this with Sun Spider of like she has a logo on her chest because I know she wears harnesses kind of like compression harnesses for her spine can we turn that into straps that she then buckles that then creates the illusion of a spider just to add that level of like this feels like something found that this character could actually like do and be part of and you know we kind of try to do that with everybody it also feels like that if you're getting into the mindset of this is her world, her character, like how she would go about this, making that yeah. part of her personality of all the things you've been saying, which is super cool. I, I wanted to jump to Gwen. You know, I think you, you said you wanted to add a spider to her design for this film. Why was that important to you? Yeah. So with, with Gwen, it was one of those just because like, you know, they had to make up a spider in the first movie for like merchandising and stuff. And like, the, you know, spider pops up, but like there was no actual, she doesn't have a logo. If we're taking the opportunity to, you know, glow her up and grow her up, let's just see. Like, can we can we just go down that road and just sort of see for both the iconography of it? And I think it's kind of it, would, it might make everyone's lives easier if she had like a logo. Um, let's you know, let's just see. And I know they, they added a logo to sort of like her ghost spider title in the comic. And so the suit really couldn't change too much because we didn't want to make it feel like, oh, she's now a whole new person. When, when I was given the Gwen assignment, I'm like, but let me see, like, how far can I break her to sort of, you know, let's make the hood black. Like, let's try all over the place. You know, one of the ideas, because we knew at that point that the, the Gwen and Hobie friendship was going to be a big aspect to this, that what, what does, you know, here's Gwen as a, you know, punk drummer. What happens to her when she's spending significant times in a punk world? with this guy who's so fully himself and understands who he is and his, you know, complete anti-conformity to everything that like, does some of that rub off on Gwen? And so I even tried to like, you know, what if her suit is just sort of like tattered clothing and she sits just together to kind of creates the color blocking of the suit. We know just to like add that little solve of add a spider, you know, she takes one of like Hobie's lipsticks and just draws a spider on her chest. And the suit doesn't change at all, but we add that just a little, like, here's just a little thinking that you got from Hobie and use some of his material just to kind of see where we can go. One of the things you talked about earlier is this idea that you were kind of figuring out early on what kind of artist you want to be, like animation, and you kind of talked about games. Uh, so I want to jump back to that because... You actually had a chance to design a costume for Marvel Spider-Man 2. Tell mm -hmm. us a little bit about that, because how cool is that? Oh, oh, like, honestly, like, my first meeting with them, I had to kind of, like, like, ins like, Insomniac's, like, the place. Like, Insomniac is the oh. reason. I it's, it's like, <laughs> like, look, everybody, I'm, I am such a fangirl of Insomniac in general, but they're all just so cool and so awesome. And such nerds. Oh, 100%. Spyro, 
the dragon was like the reason I got into drawing. So like the kind of like come back of like this is insomniac asking me to design. I'm like, oh, like I like I have to. Yeah, they reached out and like I think they were kind of like looking for a bunch of new designers to design like one-off suits. And they kind of like, you know, just like what would you want to do? You know, it was it was sort of this like really kind of nice departure of like a completely different medium so I could kind of really get noodly with it. What is a genre really like? that then you could kind of apply to this suit that made it feel unique and like that only you could do and it was sort of like i love cyberpunk let me do a cyberpunk miles like that i would do and it was it was great you know it was a, it was a great experience to kind of like have this thing and it's going to be there like i still haven't seen the final so it's gonna be really cool like i probably won't see it until like the game actually comes out um which is gonna be real wild because i'm so looking forward to that game just in general that then like you know <laughs> There's just gonna be a, a just a mile suit in that game that like I designed. Let alone, I mean, there's probably gonna be like Spider Verse suits in there, which is gonna also be weird for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, I, I believe it's the encoded suit, right? And yeah, that is... that's, that's what they ended up naming it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so everybody can get that when they they do their pre-orders, the digital deluxe edition of Marvel Spider-Man Two. Hopefully, uh, we'll get you to talk about designing even more spiders down in the future. But right now, Spider-Man Across the Spider Verse is in theaters and. The Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse art book is coming in July. Chris Anka, thank you. Ah, thank you, Chris. Thank you, guys. It was a lot of fun. Special thanks to Chris. Uh, It just is always a freaking delight to talk to him and, and hear about his process and how he's able to put so much love and caring and, like, intent uh, into the characters' designs he works on. Like, you could just really tell he's not just an artist. He's, like, a total fan. For sure. All right, it is time for our community section, a.k.a. This Week in Messages. Uh, and thinking about next week's guest, who is writer Steve Fox, who just is wonderful. And uh, we talked to Steve about a whole bunch of stuff, um, Spider-Ham and Web Weaver, uh, but also about Steve's work in the Marvel's Voices Pride comic, which I know you are involved in pretty heavily, Angelique. It's our baby. Uh, I'm uh, the consulting editor as well as um, a contributor to the Pride books, and I am so proud, for lack of a better word, of this issue. It's pretty phenomenal. It's out right now, so, you know, go get it. Yeah. Uh, So with that in mind, our question of the week and with it being the wrap up of Pride Month next week, uh, we're thinking, what is your favorite character or story in Marvel's Voices Pride? It could be this year's issue or even one of the previous ones. I think of the Loki story with all his exes previously, which was really good. Also, the Steve Fox's story here, it was really good. There's the great Webweaver story. Um, there's a ton and ton of stories to choose from. Go check it out. Go to your local comic shop if you have not already picked up Marvel's Voices Pride or go to Marvel Unlimited to read previous Marvel's Voices Pride issues. And then you can tweet your answers using hashtag This Week in Marvel. Email them to twimpodcast at marvel.com or send a message to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash This Week in Marvel. Please make sure to tell us it is okay to read Twim so we can read it here on Twim, this show you're listening to in the future. That's how it works. You read that like a pro. But you know what I can read? Mm. Last week's question of the week 
what are some of your favorite costume designs for Marvel characters? And y'all had answers. Yeah. Mallory at Ravenclaw2313 tweeted, When it comes to Marvel costumes, the 1602 looks are my favorites. Just delightfully fun redesigns and so perfect for my main cosplay location, Renaissance Festivals. Plus, I love the fan versions of characters who weren't in the comics. Mallory, that's so cool. Uh, I we're like we have a Ren Fair that's about an hour away from us. That looking forward to taking Catherine to this year. I I don't think we're ready to do the cosplay vibe there, but that's a cool cool idea. And then Jen K Tidwell at JK underscore Tidwell. Mahmoud Asraz, Betsy, is fantastic and iconic. I love her Captain Britain design, but something slick like this is tough mm. to beat. Heck yeah, really is. I feel like, right? No, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, no. Caroline Cosplay at Caroline Cosplay tweeted, one of my favorite costume designs is the one that Quanon wore not long after coming back from the dead. That's a good pull, Caroline. Nice. All right, and then we got Peter Parker fan 1986 at Spidey 71286. You know, you're going to be very surprised <laughs> by this Peter Parker fan's answer. The superior Spider-Man costume is one of my fave Spider-Man suits. I really like the superior Spider-Man run and can't wait for his return. Scott at the Midgar Ronin tweeted, Cyclops with his all-black X-Visor outfit is fantastic. And then Star-Lord during Annihilation Conquest was a great helmet design and costume. And Captain Marvel from Kelly Sue DeConnick's run. All right, let's run those down. Angelique was shaking her head about Cyclops, but you're always shaking your head about Cyclops. Exactly. If you mentioned Scott Summers, I'm going to shake my head. That doesn't mean I didn't like the costume design. It just means Scott Summers was talked about. Yeah, it was a cool look um, during during that run written by Brian Michael Bendis. I believe it was Chris Pachalo was working on that. And, we'll and I mean, it, the X-Visor was kind of dope. Yeah, it was cool. It was, it was a wild look. Uh, Star-Lord during Annihilation Conquest is very cool because that's like set the stage. Previous to that, he had like the Star-Lord that shows up before that is got uh he's like older rougher he's got a like cybernetic eye and so putting the like the full helmet design on him is the exact thing that inspires like his on-screen look and so much more so it is a great design I love me some Peter Quill um all right so then we've got Captain Marvel from Kelly Sue DeConnick's run I don't know how anybody argues with that yeah no. it is perfection it is. Um, so E Wong at two Wong for you. <laughs> yes. Also, it just makes me think about uh, two Wong Fu. Ooh. Thanks for everything, Julie Newmar. So well good. done. Well done. Huh. Uh, yes. I always like the original Chris Claremont, John Byrne, Phoenix, and Dark Phoenix, but I think one of the best was Emma Frost's. Mm. Reverse X costume from New X-Men where her white costume parts made it so her skin was the actual X. You had me at Emma Frost. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then finally, Manic Tar at Nick Lempriere tweeted, any of Hella's impractical headwear? No idea what the point of it is, but it is, always looks badass along with the green and black suits. Sometimes you just, you don't need a, like a reason, a purpose. It's fine. Uh, it just is, right? It just can be. I also saw a couple more on Twitter. Kelly Knox at Kelly underscore Knox shouting out Dazzler Thor from A-Force, which, come on, hell 
Yeah, there were some MCU pulls in there, which we'd like to see. Those are some good, good looks. And then there was one from Superheroes for Doa at Superheroes for Doa saying, My favorite costume redesign was Jamie McKelvey transforming Carol Danvers from Ms. Marvel into Captain Marvel. I love Carol's new look and the powerful statement that Jamie and Kelly Sue DeConnick made in that awesome comic. And that's our buddy Joe with that one reiterating that Captain Marvel look is perfection. All right, we have a wonderful email here from our pal, Kevin Helfman, who teaches a Marvel Lit class uh, for some wonderful, wonderful high school students. And Kevin says, a warm summer hello to you, Ryan, Angelique, and the TWIM team. Please give Lorraine a big mazel tov on her growing family. The question of the week has to go to the esteemed Ruth Carter and her team. Every costume design she has done is next level. Her work truly makes people say, Wow. Now, Kevin also shared some really cool stuff with us here on the Twim team. Um, you know, I sent some comics over and, and sort of talked with Kevin um, a couple times. And uh, the students have been amazing. Kevin also sent over some highlights for the year. This one was great. Uh, if there was ever a question that they couldn't answer, a go-to line students would say is, hit up Agent M. That goes for anyone out there. If you have a Marvel question, I will do my best to help answer it. And then Kevin said, after reading Squirrel Girl and practicing counting on our fingers using binary, one student came back the next day being able to do the whole process in the blink of an eye. That is so cool. And then the representation that the Marvel Universe gave to Kevin's students is really cool. He said, Ms. Marvel got one student to tell me how awesome it was to see a female hero with brown skin like hers. Another student deeply connected with Wiccan for two reasons. My students shared their experience with depression, and it was really nice to see the young Avengers support Wiccan. The second reason was seeing Teddy and Billy's love also showed her to be herself. Uh, also, they shared a wonderful video of Kevin uh, singing and performing the unbeatable Squirrel Girl radio show theme, which is delightful. And Kevin, I did check out all the other amazing highlights and student work. Please, if you uh, keep talking with your students, you see them share our love and our support to all of them. Gabe, Ty, Avalyn, Sadie. Lily and Alyssa, all of them are amazing, and uh, I, I will hopefully be sharing this with some people who make these amazing Marvel comic stories. Thank you again, Calvin, and uh, have a great summer. All right, uh, that's it. We did it. Did we? We did. Did we make a podcast? We made the podcast. Wait, they were re they were recording? I thought this was just rehearsal. Uh-oh. Let's run it back. <laughs> this episode of This Week of Marvel was produced by Kara McGurk, Allison Isabel Robertson, Ryan Panagos, and Angelique Rocher. Our senior manager, audio production and development, is Brad Barton. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. And special thanks to the one, the only, the brilliant Chris Anka. Yeah, drawing butts and being cool. Didn't rhyme, didn't need to. He's no fool. Well done. That guy was Ryan. I'm Angelique. This is Marvel. Your universe. <laughs>